Welcome back to Single Serving Cinema with Tim and Tay, a podcast that looks at one critical scene in a movie every other week. We explore how the scene is constructed, what the scene achieves, and what it can tell us about the movie as a whole. I'm Tim. And I'm Tay. Welcome back to Season 2, everybody. Uh, It's nice to be back uh, after an extended time away, for us at least. Yeah, we had a nice little break there. It was nice to uh, not have to do quite so much movie homework, but I'm excited to get back into it. We've got, I think, some very good ideas for this season. And uh, we're kicking it off with uh, with a Keanu Reeves month. But before we really dive into uh, that actor and his career and his very unique sense of charisma, I'd say, uh, we do, you know, like, like you have at New Year's, we have some resolutions for the podcast this season. Really just one, and it's that... We're going to remember our format. Uh, you may, if you've listened to enough episodes from the first season, you may realize how often we forget to tell you the tagline, which is somehow one of our favorite parts of these discussions and the parts that we usually overlook because we get too, too, uh, too deep in the weeds too quickly. I didn't notice too many times where we missed the tagline. Only about I think that's like the half point the is that we didn't notice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we hope you hold us to it. Uh, We're going to try and get our format down even better. But yeah, as I said, um, we're coming back in June. We wanted to do something big. We wanted to do some blockbusters. Uh, We threw around a bunch of ideas. And uh, one of the main ones that came up were, I think we talked about speed and point break, um, which were sort of like some of the quintessential 90s blockbusters, things that, at least for people around our age, I think you would associate with that sort of level of bombast and that star power and the summer setting and uh, we, we landed on point break I think it's a great way to kick this off yeah and if I'm not mistaken this was your first time around point break yeah I'd never seen it clearly it's one of those ones that is so heavily referenced in so many aspects of pop culture uh, I'm a big hot fuzz fan so obviously that's a <laughs> He really just borrows that dramatic point from Point Break uh, to underscore uh, the two characters' relationship in that. Uh, there's also there's an entire episode of American Dad that I've seen that uh, is just a ripoff of this, where it's an FBI agent gets embedded with some surfers. Um, so it's one of those things where once you see it, if you haven't, then you're like, oh, I've seen this referenced here and this referenced here and this referenced here over and over and over. So it was great to put those things into context and also you know i am a big keanu reeves fan um for both better and worse uh, as we'll yeah, talk about same boat here um and it's i even even when you see him maybe a little bit out of his depth in terms of what he's being asked to do which i think is often you know casting and director error maybe more so than keanu's error uh it's great to see and then there i mean this cast has a has a lot of people i really enjoy i'm a big fan of laurie petty from uh we just watched in our film club recently, um, a league, a league of their own. Right. Yeah. Um, she's yep. fantastic. Swayze. I don't have a ton of experience with, cause, uh, as we'll talk about, he was coming off a number of, uh, like romantic leads from here, uh, outside of, um, roadhouse, right. Where I guess he, he's got his action chops in that, but I haven't seen it. And, uh, the um, outsiders was before this. Yes, that's right. And young blood but yeah, ghost and, there's another one, or and Dirty Dancing was before this, right? Have you, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Ghost yeah. though? I haven't seen Ghost. Oh my goodness! Again, oh, heavily referenced. Wow. I've seen that Community episode where the the C plot line is just a, an ongoing ghost joke. But oh man, Go- uh, Ghost should is, I see Ghost? Yes, Ghost is really All good. Right. Go- right. Ghost might be. I might like Ghost better than Point Break. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually <laughs> right, it's that's... actually tight. 
yeah uh, those right, are my cool. those are my top two swayzes for sure and but, like before we get completely into this do you want to run through our <laughs> intro yeah yeah absolutely so we're talking about point breaks 1991 uh, and I, I liked writing the summary for this because it was kind of thing where you can write one sentence and it covers it. If you want to write even one more word, it becomes a paragraph. So I just stuck with federal agent Johnny Utah infiltrates a group of bank robbing surfers and soon begins to question his loyalties. Starring Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, and Laurie Petty, and directed by Catherine Bigelow, Point Break was released July 12th, 1991. Uh, it's available for Canadians to stream on Prime on their Stars channel. And um, the box office and budget for this movie, we come in at $24 million budget and an $83.5 million box office return. So pretty decent return. Definitely. Uh, Maybe not a massive hit, but a solid investment as a summer blockbuster. Yeah, and, right? and the way they were kind of talking about this and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff I was seeing, like this was Swayze's movie. Keanu was not a pop culture icon yet. So mm-hmm. they were really banking on one big name in this movie, and I don't know if this was considered a big success or a small success, but it wasn't a flop. Certainly wasn't a flop, and uh, just to really follow through on our on our resolution, here's your tagline right now, just minutes into the episode, we're <laughs> killing it, uh, 100% pure adrenaline. And that, that kind of belies, like, I think the marketing angle on this and, like, one of the core themes of the movie, which is sort of this adrenaline jockey culture. You've got surfing. You've got uh, skydiving. Um, bank I mean, robbing. And, and, yeah, bank robbing as a as a sport, right? Like, I like how that lines up in this movie. You've got these bank robbers, the ex-presidents, um, which is Swayze's crew, who... They do it to fuel their or to fund their surfing life, but they also do it because it it gets them gets them real excited. Like it's something that you can do well and has a high degree of risk, just like surfing, right? And yeah, so Gary Busey playing the veteran FBI agent in like who's been in bank robbery for you know twenty plus years uh, has to take in this new university quarterback jock character mm-hmm. uh, who's played by Keanu Reeves. Um, I love Pappas in this movie. I think he adds mm-hmm. so much to this as well. I don't remember what my point on bringing him up initially was. The ex-presidents rip off banks to finance the endless summer. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, yeah, I think I think we lost the train a little bit there, but it's fine. We're we're talking generally about Johnny Utah, and I think yeah, we should because this is a Keanu month, and the tentative plan right now is to bookend this season with Keanu Reeves. So right now we're doing early Keanu Reeves, which is everything up to and including the Matrix, and at the end of this year we'll do late Keanu Reeves, which is everything afterwards. Um, so keep an eye out on Instagram. We'll mention this at the end again, but we're going to do an audience vote on four Keanu movies. We're looking at, uh, where he came from before this, uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. We've got the matrix, got Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola and speed fourth one. Speed is probably speed. We got speed, which again, speed speed is also a wild ride. You could also say hundred percent pure adrenaline on that one. But I think, it's interesting to talk about Keanu here because you're right. Like I can see this being marketed on Swayze because he's such a phenomenon, at least in more romantic movies like ghost and uh, dirty dancing, like a huge icon. Whereas Keanu at best is known for his 
comedy chops in in Bill and Ted, which is just a couple years before this. Maybe it was the sequel because they were talking about how Keanu, the reason why his hair is long in the final scene, is actually because uh, yeah, he, bogus bogus journey came out the same year. So that's what it was. So, so he went back yeah. to film Bill and Ted's, and then they brought him back with Swayze to shoot the finale scene. And by that point, he'd grown his hair long for Bill and Ted, and mm-hmm. Swayze had cut his hair for a different movie. So they oh, had no. different looks, but <laughs> but the the way they described it, I think it was the producer who was saying it. He said it worked out really well because this would be Bodie's way of trying to blend in and not look like a surfer anymore by kind mm-hmm. of cutting his hair. Yeah, there's there's ways to frame that. his flow in the movie's insanely good. Yes, it's like just, and I mean we'll we'll get into how how Bodie is introduced and what he looks like because they really they really gave give him a certain god godlike aura yes right throughout this movie and and they they convince you why keanu would become so enthralled with him and that's the aspect of utah's character that i think keanu is best suited to because as i as i sort of vaguely referenced earlier i think keanu just works when you know exactly what he can do and you put him in it because i don't think many people can do what he's good at and i don't think he can do many things well Right, I don't think yeah. he has a wide range, but he has this sort of like in controlled meditative uh, charisma, right? Like, which makes him perfect for these things, like saying "I know kung fu" or maybe uh, like realizing he's like a Christ figure in the Matrix, or like he's a burnt out uh, assassin in in John Wick. Yeah, right. Where like. The things you'd normally ask of actors, right, to, like, go bigger, give drama, give anger, are the things where I often think Keanu, you can tell he becomes slightly out of his depth. I, th- I think he has high emotional points in this movie that works, as in the scene that we're going to cover. But often there are even just more nuanced things where when he's talking to, to Gary Busey or to John C. McGinley's characters, and I don't really necessarily buy what he's selling. Does either one of you have anything even remotely interesting to tell me? Caught my first tube this morning, sir. No, right? there are some rough lines, and I, I don't think it's even the script. I think maybe some lines are a script issue for just because Keanu isn't the kind, like you just pointed out there, Keanu isn't the kind of actor who's going to you know be incredibly versatile and diverse across his roles or the way he delivers lines. So I think part of the issue is how many lines they gave him in the movie. He talks a lot. Um, mm. And like you said, I think the stuff where he's trying to look like a proper FBI agent really str- he struggles with those moments. Yeah, and I don't think it's a matter of like his character struggling with that. I think it's the actor struggling mm. with that. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, but I couldn't. I was afraid you'd leave. Good guess, huh? Why can't I ever say what I really mean? Yeah, yeah, right? Like, I think the aspects of his character where he's, like, a greenhorn, right? He's fresh out of the academy, uh, like Quantico, you know, stuff like that, really works, where you can see he's just out of his depth when he almost drowns trying to surf. Hope you stick with it. Surfing's the source. It'll change your life, I swear to God. Like, he shows up in that scene before he meets Laurie Petty's character, Tyler, and he shows up at the with the the bad surfboard and he's wearing a suit yeah and then he immediately drowns you're like yeah i buy that 100 percent. but yeah, when he's got yeah. like the hot head brefura and he's trying to hold his own against like again character actors like Busey and mcginley who are these like seasoned their characters are seasoned fbi agents 
and as actors they're so good at just throwing out this dialogue nonstop, like John C. McGinley calling him a blue flame special. Just mm-hmm. like you're like, oh, that uh, John C. McGinley's character wrote that. Like I just buy that he exists somewhere. You know nothing. In fact, you know less than nothing. If you even knew that you knew nothing, that'd be something, but you don't. Yes, sir. You need a solid breakfast, Utah, sir. All the food groups avoiding caffeine, sugar. I like to make sure that all my people maintain Coming sound through. cardiovascular fitness. We don't drink, and we sure as hell don't smoke. Sir, I take the skin off chicken. Good man. Yes. Whereas when Keanu's throwing that back in people's faces, I'm like, I don't see it. I don't think so. Yeah, and there's, like, just a couple moments where his acting literally has, like, just removes you from the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's, like, I think it's when Pappas is shot at the end, and when Keanu yells no, it's, like, Mm -hmm. way too long. It's it's a yeah, good like, like two seconds too long yeah. of him yelling. It's like no one who mm-hmm. is in the mom in the heat of the moment in an action moment like that would even have the lung capacity to yell that long. It's Same, so even dramatic. At the end of the scene, yeah, even at the end of the scene that we're ta- we're going to talk about later in the episode, like yeah. he's got a couple reactions to the sort of climax of that scene, and you're like, I don't know, guys. Like, could we get one more take on that? Or like, could the I mean, the yeah. I think the editor. Howard E. Smith is doing a lot of work in this movie, right? It's he's, it's a phenomenal effort, and I think if I was him, I'd go even a little bit further to help Keanu. But um, to circle back around on this whole idea, I think, you know, they knew he had comedic chops. If you've seen Bill and Ted's, you know he's really funny. And again, it's utilizing that kind of airhead quality where you're not really sure what's going on behind his eyes, which is which is a an asset. It is a, a commodity in certain roles. And this being like this test, I think, to see, is this guy an action star? Is he a leading man? And I think his physicality is great. Like through the foot chases, the using firearms, I think he sells all of that physically. And I think you're right. He would probably benefit from just having fewer lines and being more like a keep keep my mouth shut and observe new FBI agent. And less so like I have to match everyone's intensity. Yeah. And you made a great point, too. He's up against just so many character actors in this movie. Like, the three characters that, like, off the top of my head are, like, his lieutenant. Or, mm-hmm. I, get, I don't know if he's lieutenant, but McGinley. Yeah. Uh, B.U.C. and then Swayze all have so much power, like, that's palpable mm-hmm. in their acting. And they are larger-than-life characters, all of them almost. Yeah. And Keanu trying to meet them on that level is the only thing in this movie that I think really doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. But he is good in so many scenes. And Catherine Bigelow fought really, really, really hard to get Keanu in this movie mm-hmm. over people like Matthew Broderick. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember some of the other ones. Matthew Broderick was the funniest one. The other yeah, ones made more sense. Very interesting, you know? Yeah, but... Um, she she really wanted Keanu against the production uh, against the producer's uh, will or I guess desire but I think it works on so many levels and I don't think we're talking about Point Break right now if this isn't Keanu and Swayze yeah I agree I like if it's Broderick and Swayze or something like that or even someone who maybe would have acted more more in a way more suited to this movie and this character I, I don't think it's as memorable. Yeah. I, I think that's true, right? Yeah. Because um, I, I mean, this is Keanu month, so obviously we wouldn't be talking about it if Keanu wasn't mm-hmm. in the movie, but he adds a layer of like, 
it, it's what makes the movie memorable because he's so mm-hmm. there's some lines that are so over the top so cheesy and it's mm-hmm. also then like the more touching interactions with characters like Bodie, like Patrick Swayze's character yeah that I think are what bring his performance back to that level where it's like accepted like what he's mm-hmm. doing is yeah more nuanced than just being airhead surfer dude mm-hmm. who can't act as an FBI yeah. agent and in this type of movie in this era I'd say in your blockbuster, in your summer movie, in a movie where you know everyone's going to be wet half the time, they're going to be on the beach. It's an asset that Keanu is a beautiful person, yes. right? Like, yep. and especially when you cast him against a different type of like masculine attraction, like uh, Swayze, right? Like, I I like that that you kind of get these two different pillars, these two different columns, and we'll talk later a little bit about like I think one of the main points has been talked about in this movie a lot, like with things like Top Gun, where there is a certain form of homoeroticism or homosexuality underneath a lot of it, um, which only made more interesting because you have Catherine Bigelow directing it, so it's not coming from an entirely male perspective either. Hey, you're not going to start chanting or anything, are you? (laughs) I might. (laughs) This is me. So, uh, you still haven't figured out what Riding Waves is all about, have you? It's a state of mind. It's that place where you lose yourself and you find yourself. You don't know it yet, but you got it. It's right there. I saw you with those guys. You're a pit bull. You didn't hesitate, and they didn't back you down an inch. And that is very rare in this world. Well, thanks for stepping in. Hey, nada. Later. I think there's there's an essay that I read, and I'll link it, where they do... I love that they talk about the idea of Keanu being like an ingenue, right? Which would normally be a, a female actor in a female role for something like this who's kind of swept up in in the 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 dashing criminals world or just like brought into a world and and is bright-eyed and doesn't know anything about it and i think keanu's such a good casting choice for this when you consider that sort of framing yeah he has that kind of youthful exuberance and also Mm -hmm. doesn't look like he's experienced very much in this world yet he looks he looks so young and i mean looks that's, fresh. i mean that's the ongoing joke is like right now keanu's like what approaching 60 and he looks like 40 something right and like he and at this point like in 91 he's basically just flawless he doesn't have a wrinkle on him and you're like this guy could be 15 right yeah um but- so i can see i think i can see why Catherine bigelow went for it i think um, I'm not sure, I, you know, obviously I haven't seen all the TV specials and shorts and TV shows they did before this, but I wonder if she sort of understood the physicality that he had to offer, because I think that's a huge asset to this. And just his look and his energy and his feel suits a good chunk of his character. And then I think, yeah, the script asks a little bit much of him sometimes. Yeah, but you bring up another good point there. I think, like, the kind of bright-eyed expressions that Keanu can give kind of allow him to genuinely feel enamored by this world that the surfers have kind of shown him uh he you like it's similar to how i feel about his performance in bill and ted which is so genuine and like you can just Mm. tell like he like his character is like like he there's something in his character and like when he has those moments where he's looking at the surfers doing like like being masters of their craft you can feel that keanu energy almost you can feel that he actually is full of admiration and it's those points that really sell the relationship in the movie it's keanu being in this is like keanu is the only reason why i think having a male in this role 
kind of allows the relationship to exist as this maybe more than a hetero relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it does it does suggest that there's some there's some connection there that even if maybe based on these characters' preferences or just what you could put in a movie at a time and expect to sell tickets for, they're not going to act through. So like, yeah, we can we can I think we'll come back to Bigelow in a second, but that's a good segue to this idea again, I I'll link to that essay, but I love that you know, this connection between um Utah and Bodie um is is so palpable and I think it's underscored by the fact that like they do give you Tyler, Lori Petty's character, she's given an androgynous name and the way that her and Utah meet is like she saves him from death and then reams him out and leaves. This pig boy piece of shit. You got no business out here whatsoever. And then he has to like use his FBI resources to look up details on her life and con his way into her life, which none of which feels particularly romantic. Um, right. I think yeah. if you, if you lay it bare and you look at their, the arc of their relationship, you're like, she's an asset at best. And I don't feel like he's ever worried about what he did to her or that he's going to get her back. Whereas like the entire movie is about this arc of their relationship where like, and in the end, like he chases him down on another continent eight months later and they fight in the rain and he shackles himself to him. Yeah. Right? I told them you go quietly. You know, there's no way I can handle a cage, man. I don't care. You gotta go down. It's gotta be that way. It's a much um, more romantic and, connection than what yeah. uh, Utah and Tyler have. And there's and there's like there there's true like there's begging in that scene where Bodie like it's so emotional where he's like, no, I have to ride that wave, man. I have to die on my terms. Look at it, Johnny. Look at it. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. Just let me go out there. Let me get one wave before you take me. One wave. Now where am I gonna go, man? Cliffs on both sides. I'm not gonna paddle in New Zealand. My whole life has been about this moment, Johnny. Come on, compadre. Uh, there's something very like, I don't know, Bonnie and Clyde or Western, like uh, a doomed romance to it. And and that I think that that also happens in how he's introduced, you, like the sequence where it's it, like I think um, Tyler had just been teaching Utah how to surf, and they're walking down the beach, and then you see like Bodie just like mastering these waves, and they he just looks like a god. And every time they cut back to Keanu, the way he's looking at Bodie is not the way you're like I want to be friends with that guy, or I think he might be a bank robber, and I have to embed myself in his group. He's just like, who is this person and how can I be closer to them? How can I learn about their world? And, and there's multiple things happening in that moment, right? There's multiple gazes happening. Tyler is looking at Johnny, who's looking at mm -hmm. Bodie. And then yeah. she is kind of almost reaction. It's like almost reactionary how she kind of is like introduces who Bodie is because she can see uh, Johnny's interest in that figure out mm -hmm. in the water. Yeah. And it's almost like she understands like the homoerotic tension already like immediately that's Bodhi they call him the Bodhisattva 
He's a real searcher. What's he searching for? The ride. The ultimate ride. Guy's even crazier than you, Johnny. Yeah, you kind of get the impression that she's like anyone she's hanging out with when they when they lay eyes on Bodie, she's like, okay, I have to provide some context here and be yeah. like, I know this this person's going to go meet Bodie either way, so I may as well introduce them. Right? And like I, I think you probably reading into it, but you can read into a certain degree of resignation where she's like, yeah, Well, yeah. Well, this 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 pretty this pretty and horrible surfer that I that I've got under my wing has has seen Bodie, so that's probably it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna occupy too much of his attention for the rest of the movie. And I think this fits in like you know, Top Gun's a hot subject right now and like a lot mm-hmm. of people are even referencing how the new one kind of had a new sports montage to reference the originals uh football mm-hmm. montage or sorry, volleyball montage. And I think the yeah. football scene in this movie does something very similar where it's like not fully engaging in anything that's explicitly homosexual or homoerotic, but there is, this is like about as close as you can get to that level in 1991. I think like yeah. this is how you do it on a commercial level where you can have multiple readings happening. You can have your straight audience member or your straight like, your straight straight edged person in the audience yeah. being like, yeah, this is clearly like two masculine men who just, you know, like to have a good time uh, yeah, yeah. finding adrenaline rushes together. Yeah. yeah, it's just competition. Yeah. Whereas I think, I and I literally think this is just because of Catherine Bigelow, like and her perspective on masculine culture, that the movie comes off yeah. as much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. Like, I do think... I, I, in that essay, I read the thing. They they kind of argue that Tyler, because she's been with both Utah and Bodie, stands in for a relationship, a physical relationship to do, the two of them. And again, they give her an androgynous name, things like that. You could make an argument, but also, yeah, with football, it's like football. In this instance, I think is used as an excuse to make physical contact with another one another, rolling around in the sand, things like that. And then it works as a character thing too, where you see that. Utah is fast enough to catch Bodie. He does have his bum knee. Um, but it's also it's how he gets ingratiated in their gang is that Bodie recognizes him as a college football star and then also sets it up for our scene later when they're in a foot chase and you you've already seen that Utah is probably fast enough once he once he gets ahead to catch Bodie. So it's it works on a plot level. It works in these themes of what these men mean to each other and then it works as, as sort of a social commentary reading where you're like what are we what are we getting away with in this movie in 91 that would have, if done more explicitly wouldn't have been a commercial uh, option and i think you're right bigelow i think you can attribute a lot of that to bigelow making this just a little bit more interesting she's adding a dimension to so many aspects of it while still being an undeniably capable action director. The sequences in this are amazing. And you, you had mentioned in some of your research that, so this was shot by Donald Peterman, who uh, also for me, most familiar uh, shot men in black, but by the sounds of it, he was taking a lot of visual direction from Bigelow. Yeah. From everything that I heard in the the interviews, first of all, he's probably wasn't even operating camera very often. This is probably more of like a studio cinematographer uh, who... And obviously the shooting style that Bigelow prefers is a really run-and-gun style, so I'm guessing she almost exclusively has her 
steady cam operators using like or as the cam operators she probably doesn't mm-hmm. actually put the camera in the cinematographer's hands very often mm-hmm. um but the way that they kind of shot these action sequences i also think editing comes in huge for how these movies oh, yeah. for how her movie looks or her movies look but the action sequences are so cool in this movie and uh i really just wanted to touch on like just how they did it quickly it's like a pogo cam i guess is like a really slang term for it but it's basically like a really rough rig where the camera's on like a pole that that uh, falls below the camera and so you can like hold it below. Mm-hmm. And this allows you to run and gun while still looking like it's not steady, like stabilized by a gimbal or anything like that. It allows yeah. you to run and you can see the impact of your footprint, of your footsteps as the camera operator without mm-hmm. bouncing too hard. Um, and it also allows things so like when they're jumping over a fence or something you can pass the camera over the fence with the pole like so the cam operator yeah. could pass it to another cam operator then you're running again and it's these kinds of it's the it's the run and gun build of this kind of rig that allows Bigelow to shoot as well as she did i think that the way that the the one operator said that he shot it was basically you run in front of them like leading them and you run behind them mm. like chasing them and he did that for both Bodie and Johnny in the scene we're going to talk about today but uh almost all the action sequences kind of work on this level where it's really run and gun shooting and it allows for a really palpable sense of action realistic tension uh and she uses obviously she's not shooting on green screens here it's real world like real streets mm-hmm. real buildings all of it makes it seem like very chaotic and tense yeah, I mean, it all, I think, feeds into that 100% pure adrenaline. There's a frenetic yeah. energy to this. It keeps moving. And another aspect that I love is in the scenes like where it is an action, we're going to talk about a car chase and a foot chase today. But most of the other times when you're delivering lines and things like that, it's a lot of shooting with long lenses or telephoto lenses. So that means lenses with, I mean, telephoto, what's that? Technically, is that above 150 or above 100 That's what millimeters? I would guess, but I don't know what yeah. the, what it is technically. Yeah. Over 150 and millimeters, I, I'd say safe yeah. bet. Yeah. I'll, I'll find some examples on YouTube. If you just want, like, there there are tons of different YouTube videos that are just people, like, changing focal lengths so you can get a better visual understanding of what the differences mean. But, I mean, um, telephoto generally, like, compresses your background up on your foreground. Right. Yeah. So what you get in a lot of these scenes on the beach or even later when we're going to talk in the scene we're going to talk about using these long lenses brings like the ocean and the surf and the waves right up behind like Keanu Reeves's ears. while you have a massive um, close up on just his face, like barely his face will fit in the frame. His chin might be ducking beneath it and you get a real good look at his eyes when he's like sort of drooling over Bodie as he's surfing and the rest of the frame is all just water. And to me, uh, this is just a personal interpretation. I find that all that crowding always just adds a little bit more energy and even a little bit of anxiety in the scene that we're going to talk about. Cause you're just like, you don't have room to breathe. You're kind of stuck right in the frame with Gary Busey's face and the rest of the frame is full of car. And the background is just uh, this, this, um, this, aggressively pulled up uh background of like buildings or highways or again the surfs things like that yeah and just to add to that point too it's it's not when you use a telephoto lens you're not just shooting close-ups i mean that's what bigelow does a lot in this film uh there's Mm -hmm. a lot of extreme close-ups too which are not shot on telephoto but 
For telephoto shots, you also can shoot pretty wide and still have that same compression, but you basically have to put the camera, you know, like 200 feet away from your subjects. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a there's one specific shot where Tyler and Johnny are coming up the beach, and the wave crashing behind them is huge, and it looks like it's like about to go over them, but it's so far behind them. Um, but that's that's like a full shot. You see both their like torso up, so that's mm-hmm. like the camera must be so far away for they a shot like that. Must be so far away. Yeah, because again, the longer the lens, the the closer it brings your subject to it. So if you do want a fuller frame, or or sorry, an emptier frame, you're composing with your your subjects. You want to see them from the waist up or from the feet up. You have to be that much further back from them. Yeah. Um. Just and for reference, like yeah, a very famous like the one other aspect I wanted to mention about long lenses is that, um, when your subjects are moving across the frame, like left to right or right to left, it creates parallax if you're moving to follow them right so a more aggressive movement of objects in the background against objects in the foreground um but when you have things moving directly towards the camera you can't track their progress as well and the really famous use of that that sort of uh, concept was in um the graduate right where you have uh dustin hoffman running towards the camera um on a really long lens and it just looks like he's making no progress for like 30 seconds straight, right? <laughs> yeah. As he's running down the street. Um, so there are things like that. And we'll talk about it in the scene where, yeah, when you have left to right movement, it's so frenetic. It's so palpable. And then when you have stuff moving towards the camera, it's not so much. And I, I think that's a, a key to how, how they use it. And if you want like a really clear example from this movie, the, the really long take of Bodie and Johnny walking back to Johnny's car is all done in one telephoto mm-hmm. shot. Uh, where yeah. they barely look like they're moving, but yet you can see them passing by cars, so you have a very like predictable idea of how mm-hmm. far they're actually walking. But that scene feels like they barely are moving. And I think I think like through the '90s and and into the aughts as well, you get a lot of use of this because it's such a dynamic uh, visual experience. It's so different from the way that our eyes operate, right? It's um, less so common I think, I think now. It, yes. Yeah. I think. But. I was going to say that, like, you know, it wasn't just Bigelow. Um, no, I think no. Tony Scott, Tony Scott, too, uh, really loved his telephoto lenses. And I think Michael Bay, who wasn't making movies until five years after this, was when Bad Boys came out. He owes a lot to Bigelow and Scott and a couple and other like, late 80s, yeah, 80s uh, blockbuster um, auteurs. Yeah, and I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Bigelow and Cameron were a couple for James Cameron were a couple for a long time and then yeah you know when they separated they went on to make their own projects but they were they're kind of always like tied together like they always yeah. will be in film history because they were two of the greatest they are two of the greatest directors living right now right. and they were a, they were a pair at one point and since yeah. then it almost has felt like everything that they've done has been a reflection yeah. or like a trade off of the others work mm-hmm. right now yeah. people are mo- mo- moving in different directions and like yeah. she wh- when she won hurt locker what she beat avatar she beat avatar for best picture so which it, is just yeah it's perfect it's just incredible and then i mean i mean the ongoing joke tay you can cut this out if you want but like avatar 2 has been subtitled the way of water and bigelow has a movie called the weight of water yes which, from from years ago which people love from to like notice year 2000 that he yeah <laughs> so uh yeah but uh 
it's I think I think we probably covered our bases. We can probably dive into the scene at this point. Yeah, let's do it. So, our scene today takes place at yet another midpoint. Um, it's a an hour and two minutes and sixteen seconds into the movie to an hour ten and thirty seconds in. So we had about an eight minute scene, just under eight minutes, uh, which is pretty damn impressive considering all the action that goes on in this mm-hmm. eight minutes. Uh, this is a classic action scene, so there are multiple layers to the action. Um, in this scene, the ex-presidents are planning their big end-of-season bank heist. Johnny and Pappas stake out the bank that they are ro- about to rob. Uh, Pappas loses focus when he sends Utah to go grab lunch, and the ex-presidents escape with the money, leading to an extensive car and foot chase, resulting in a final showdown between Bodie and Utah in the L.A. reservoirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a great scene to do. Of course, we, you know, we're back on our back on our BS and 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 covering a midpoint scene. Um, but it's nice to, I mean, we talked a lot about more of the themes and the characters uh, before getting to the scene, and the scene more just operates as a chance to talk about how these action sequences work. But we're not going to rush through this first chunk where uh, where yeah, Pappas is reading Calvin and Hobbes comics. Not really, not really the most attentive stakeout, I'd say. But I also, I was trying to remember what the context was for them picking this bank. Was it just, they were like, they might hit, they they had they had narrowed down the list and they just picked a bank to watch? Uh, I can't remember specifically why this bank, but they he watched them clear out their house the day before. So he knew they were going to hit one last bank. So, but I don't I remember. They just got lucky, right? I don't remember how they picked this yeah. bank. Oh, wait, no, because he, yeah, he saw them scouting it out. He saw Bodie go in for like half an hour and stake it out that's right. and he tells that's pappas right. this that's yeah. how that's how we have our context it's a bit so sloppy yeah, there, but. yeah yeah they're sitting there staking it out and yeah pappas is is reading calvin and Hobbes in the paper which uh tells you how long ago this was and uh and then yeah gets utah to go get him two meatball sandwiches right around that corner there is a sandwich shop they sell meatball sandwiches best i've ever tasted would you go get me two Come on, partner. Thank you. Utah, give me two. (laughs) It's, yeah, 10.30 a.m. Taylor, I appreciate that you've noted noted that uh, it's $7.84 for three sandwiches and two lemonades, which I'm very jealous of that that's a great deal. That is, especially um, if these meatball sandwiches are as good as uh, Papa says they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, yeah, like they, it's, it's nice. I think, I think this sort of opening part of the sequence is great because you as an audience, you've kind of been set up to know, okay, something's going to happen. And it's just a matter of when is it going to happen? And it's fairly patient. It's a couple minutes of like, Go get me two sandwiches. Utah walks over to the sandwich stand, and there's comical. There's comedy there. It's comical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like he orders the food, and so it pans over, opens up the frame to show the front of the bank, uh, racks focus uh, deep, and you see the ex presidents pull up, run inside, and then it focuses back on Utah, moves back uh, right to left, and uh, and returns to the sandwich stand, and Utah gets his food and walks back and completely misses it. Yeah. 
and then he's like, "What? What's the Lincoln doing up front?" And Pappas is like, "What yeah, Lincoln?" Yeah. And then the ex presidents are already out of the bank with the money. Yeah. Um. Just, and I mean, and and that's it's set up that they do this in in ninety seconds or less. So I love that. Like in the time it makes to prep some sandwiches is how fast they're going to leave the bank with the money. Yeah, I, I think stuff like that really works well in terms of contextualizing how good these guys are at what they do. There's a lot of, like, little things throughout the movie. You already mentioned, like, how the football scene sets up, like, the ch- the on-foot chase. There's, like, mm-hmm. little moments that are brought up earlier in the movie this that aren't that are clearly not throwaway moments because we have so much context of the bank robbers by the time this mm-hmm. heist comes around. So much so that they, we don't see any part of the heist. We only get the view from outside the bank where Pappas and Utah are, are supposed to be staked out, but they're not both not doing their job properly. Yeah. Yeah, this is such a critical skill and quality for a great action sequence is how much work can you do beforehand mm-hmm. so that you don't have to do any work in the action sequence other than provide action. And whether it's blockbusters or even, yeah, like there, there's just endless examples of can you give all the information you need and can you do it gracefully and subtly from the beginning of the movie even, mm-hmm. right? Like we know, you mentioned later that when, when he goes to shoot Bodie, we know from the credit sequence that he's a great shot. Yeah. Whether or not he can, he can target him is not at issue. And we know about right? the so knee injury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you sprinkle all this stuff in so no one ever has to say anything? He doesn't have to say, oh, my bad knee, or, you know, we don't have to worry whether or not he's going to hit it, or we don't, we don't need to wonder how fast or how they got out of the bank so quickly. Yes, right? exactly. It's, um, we we it know that they're this, good. Yeah. As soon as basically they see the ex-presidents, you can let this scene go, and there's almost no explain, explaining to do at any moment. Yeah. Um, I'd say maybe the most expository line, uh, we'll get to it. It's in between the car chase and the foot chase, but um, we can keep going from where we were in the scene, which is that, I think Pappas gets one bite into one of his two sandwiches before yeah. they see the presidents, and then Utah immediately draws and fires on the car as they're as they're driving away. He doesn't fire though; he doesn't shoot. He just draws. Utah fires. Oh. He blows out the back window. But so okay, so first he pulls his gun, and then the ex presidents mm-hmm. almost pull like almost yeah. shoots him too. But then Bodie mm-hmm. hits his gun down. Yeah, that's a good point. Is that Bodie? Because you're wondering that you're like, oh, at what point is Bodie gonna clock? Utah, yeah. his good buddy, as as an FBI agent, and arguably it's right there. And he I goes, think it I must don't, be. I don't. Yeah, I don't want him to shoot Utah. And also, we have to get out of here, so I have a good excuse for why we're not going to get into a gunfight. But uh, I mean, Utah, Utah tags the uh, the Lincoln a couple times. Yeah. Um. And then uh, and then you get off into a car chase, and I think a solid car chase. I um, it's good. Yeah. It was just it was just recently where I realized like. Uh, is actually seen the the Robert Pattinson Batman movie, which has, I think, in comparison to superhero movies, a phenomenal car chase. And I've rewatched it since, and I actually am very impressed. And it is just kind of th- something that I feel like you see less and less. You, that mean, one John feels Wick fast. Had a couple. I remember that yeah. one. It just feels like they're mm-hmm. actually going fast. Yeah, and they're hard to pull off. And I think like the era of CGI and stuff like that has made them even di- more difficult to make palpable. Yeah. Right. And this one is it's old enough that it just you feel the weight of the cars. You feel that like when they're going slow, it's because they have to. And when they're going fast, it's because they can. Right. So you have these some great like careening turns, hubcaps coming off. Yeah. Twice. Um, twice. You see like yeah. really realistic hubcap yeah. shots. Mm-hmm. Like 
I mean, they're they're trading paint. Yeah. They're, uh, they they go through that that parking attendant booth. They get a little locked um, together. The two cars at the one point mm-hmm. two, and it, you can almost see like the one car trying to get yeah. away, and it drags the other car a bit with it. So mm-hmm. they actually must have been slightly tethered, or something. Yeah. They must have had like the one shot of like that I'm talking about must have had the two mm-hmm. cars a little t- like put together somehow, because then they yeah. separate, and you can see them like kind of like come unstuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. I also I don't think it uh, overstays its welcome, right? Like no, they, that's what like thirty they, seconds, forty five seconds. Yeah, before like they they basically they get to the point where, uh, and this was the point of exposition. I wanted to say I can't remember what it, like someone says something about like cleaning services or something like that. Like they yell it over the course of the action, and that's when they drive into the gas station to set the car on fire and like get rid of all their DNA, fingerprints, stuff like that. Right. And I'd say that's yeah. like it's a cheap, it's a cheap most exposition, there. but it's just like oh okay, we'll just keep this clear so that when when Swayze creates a flamethrower out of a gas pump, which I I don't see any way in which that's even remotely possible. No, nope. how you don't just die immediately, but in slow mo it looks pretty cool, and that's why it's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so he. At- like even I've seen this movie so many times, but even like when he pulls out the lighter this time around, you know, I probably haven't seen it in five years now. He pulls out the lighter and I was like, dude, it's a gas station. Like you're just waiting for a Zoolander moment, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he just, he, he, he flips on this lighter and like, Oh, they're all dead. Yeah. Okay. Cause like he does, he, he like, he steals the gas pump from one guy. They steal a car from the other guy. And then like he covers the guy with gas yeah. and takes out the lighter. And he's like, don't do it. And it's like, I don't know what the guy's going to do. You're holding a shotgun. Um, and then, yeah, he in slow-mo creates a flamethrower, torches the car. Um, at which point, uh, um, so at the end of the car chase, the car chase sequence, um, Pappas in Utah, I think they their, their car's kind of totaled once they, um, once they hit the booth. So Utah's on foot. Right, so it takes him a minute or two to catch up to the gas station. That's when he shows up, and the ex-presidents leave Bodie behind. And I don't yeah, even get because, that. That's like because that. Sorry, uh, before this, Pappas and yeah. Utah's car gets totaled at the booth thing that they drive through. Yeah, yeah, and then but they take that second car and they leave. And I don't even feel like that reads as them abandoning Bodie. I think it's more like, well, Bodie will be fine. Right? I think like, Bodie kind of like yeah. goes a different direction, and then the car yeah. takes off. Like it's almost like he he yeah. shows them he's not gonna he's not gonna catch up with them. He recognizes mm. it first. Yeah, uh, and then you have the start of a foot chase, which I think is even more of a lost art than uh, than than car chases. Because uh, a strict foot chase, like the only real modern version we have, is like you know the four years where every action movie had like a parkour scene. Right, <laughs> which is not remotely the same because I I love I love a normal foot chase because you're like, people do this. I I in theory could do a lot of this, right? Like, I I don't my my cardiovascular is not not nearly as good as uh as Patrick Swayze's and Keanu Reeves, but like in theory they're just chasing each other through neighborhoods and it keeps it interesting yep. and um and, and, and believable, as it realistic. Mm-hmm. Every every yeah. every single thing that happens in that foot chase, you or I could have that moment. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's all believable. They're breaking through backyards. They're seeing, like, a cop car. Like, at one point, uh, Bodie sees a cop car cutting him off, and he, like, makes a right-hand turn into someone's backyard, just busts down a fence. And mm-hmm. then he's then he gets into one house, he locks the door behind him, and Keanu has to break through the glass door. There's, yeah. there's a lot of really realistic things that are just, like, just 
it's just grounded. There's nothing, there's no fantasy elements to this scene. It's, it's a guy chasing a guy. And there's not, there's not a ton of score to this. There's nope. some, I feel like there's there, like a, there there's sort of like a beating, a beating like synth pulse. But like, I love that a lot of it is just the Foley of like the, the, there was like that, like nineties, eighties era, like shoe scrape, mm-hmm. which I love where they're not like stomping. And I, I feel like it adds even more uh, speed to like Bodie, right. Where he's in a full tuxedo and you're like, I can tell Patrick Swayze's fast. Like he's, he's moving. They, the right? stunt guys in the interviews that I was watching, they said that it was tough to stunt double for him. Cause he was just so good at, he was a very like physically mature person. He was a physical specimen well, on set already. Yeah. Well, and I mean, his dance background makes him just pretty graceful and very athletic. Yep. I think, you know, he can move quickly through odd things and he's not he doesn't have to just run in a straight line to look good or to look capable yeah they said um, he was a pretty daring guy too like so he wanted to do a lot of the extreme stunts himself obviously they mm-hmm. wouldn't allow that but uh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean and i mean that's that's the story is that he was already uh we're jumping out of the scene he was already a skydiver before this movie so he did the jump with the movie 55 times or something um yeah uh, which is pretty neat the only shot that they have of him actually skydiving, though, is the one where he actually jump falls out of the plane. Oh yeah, the rest yeah. of it's all actually fake. That that's all fake. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Well, yeah, they wouldn't be. Able to, yeah. It's amazing. It's cool. But yeah, yeah. Like the that was that was yeah. To give you a peek behind the curtain, that was probably the second choice for the scene to focus on is the one where Utah jumps out without a a parachute because that's just like if you can justify that in a movie then like it's then you know awesome. you got something going right for someone just to say yeah i'm gonna do it i'll catch up with them but sorry way off base here um i think one of the reasons this foot chase works well too and i think it's something you apply to car chases also is like there are ebbs and flows it rises and falls yeah. in intensity and in its visual styling so as i mentioned before sometimes there's a lot of left to right sort of traverse movement transverse movement um that asks a lot of the viewer and their eyes, right? You're tracking things like that. And they're intercut with stuff where Bodhi or Re or uh, Utah are running directly to or from the camera where your eyes don't have to do nearly as much work. You get to watch. They're essentially doing the work for you, right? So you have some of this, some of that. So it's not just always these blurs. I think a lot of more modern action sequences like this, the parkour stuff is like add in a lot, just like quick cuts, keep it moving, motion blur um shaky cam and you're you just get tired on a mental and a sort of ocular level from that kind of stuff yeah and this keeps it fresh and even you mentioned michael bay already so that's like where my mind jumped to right away thinking of this but there's no explosions like you have like the car that's lit on fire sure but you're not like bumping into things and them exploding there's not Mm. high octane action it's just what it's just good shooting it's picking your visuals really specifically um like them bumping into stuff is way more impactful than like having someone fall and creating a dramatic moment or something like that it's 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 actually like believing that you could run like bodhi is running that makes the scene palpable to me yeah there's not like this like stop and go of like oh i'm gonna stop and try to shoot him but then i shoot a propane tank by accident and it blows up and then we keep or i throw a grenade like there's all these things where i feel like you could you could imagine them being used to spice up this scene and i think the scene is super thrilling 
because it keeps it personal and it keeps it down to earth. Um, and then, like, and you have these moments where, you know, Bodhi will sacrifice uh, or gamble his lead and his speed by stopping to do something else. Like, I love when he locks the screen door because it, it feels so slow compared to the rest. So you're like, yep. you, I think you really get a sense that you're like, oh, he's giving up time to to lock this. And then, yeah, Keanu just, like, throws a planter right through it and then gets beat up by the woman with her vacuum. Um, he takes a bit of damage on that though right i think that's where he does get cut from Mm -hmm. going through the glass and then and then he runs out the front door because you lose track of bodhi yep he runs out the front door and bodhi throws a dog at him which which honestly would probably cause a lot more damage than it did in the movie i think so and like they very i think graciously just sort of like it's it's maybe the messiest cut is where keanu like boots this dog yeah. and you just it's have like, like the 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 dog sound effect and like you i it's clearly like a you know a stuffed animal or something yeah and it's and it's the most where you're like there's no other way to resolve that where the dog just runs away or something um but i i think it's funny again i think it keeps it interesting because you're not just watching left to right left to right left to right switching between bodhi and and uh and utah back and forth um uh, on the subject of little points that you can hang on to on the subject of the dog real quick they i just it's something i noticed throughout the movie this time too and it's something i think it's pretty obvious to notice but uh as someone who edits sound specifically now (laughs) uh, i notice a lot of really terrible adr like Mm post-recorded audio uh specifically sprinkled in over the surfing scenes which is like you wouldn't be talking to somebody while you're surfing with like while you're surfing a wave and yet yeah. they got this terrible ADR over that, and uh, there's also that in the well, they, in the skydiving sky scenes diving, too, right? which is which you actually impossible. Anybody. It's yeah. your. I remember that was yeah. that was a um, that was a MythBusters episode. I think they went skydiving oh. with mics and tried to record people, and I think it was based on this scene. It um, probably that would make a lot of sense because yeah. they said that they actually did try to record audio, and there's no possible way because they're falling at 120 miles an hour. Yeah, you're you're falling away from the noise you're creating with your voice box. Yeah, right? seriously. Let so, alone let alone the wind covering it, right? So yeah, um, no, there's there's zero like, and they weren't not they weren't daft about it either. Mm-hmm. They, they they knew that this was not a realistic thing. They said it's a it's a creative liberty. It's heightened. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean you know ADR definitely I think more of a of a less graceful thing in in the 90s and 80s right like and just more of like well they just this is what they had to do but it's still around a lot today too right like it's just it's still a thing i think they maybe have gotten slightly better at it the the only reason i even bring it up now is though is that i just i think a modern audience member who hasn't experienced too much of 90s or 80s cinema would kind of like look at that as a cheapening effect or or at least when I look at Point Break now, I see that as what makes this movie dated. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like yeah, that. Whereas at the time, at the time, I think everyone was just ready to be like, "Yeah, that's just what that's what dialogue sounds like sometimes, especially when you can't get a boom mic, you know, thirty feet off the shore over over actors who yeah. are surfing." It doesn't help that it's like Keanu delivering like really over the top lines, yelling. I, yeah, I don't think I don't think he he wouldn't be great in the booth. I don't think again. Love the guy to death. Yeah. Big fan of him and his art. Uh, I don't think ADR is probably his thing. I feel like I need to see his eyes or else he's not a good actor. 
I did. Oh, I actually, you know what? Um, he voices a character in Toy Story Four, and he does okay. a real good job. All right. Uh, like a, like an evil Knievel toy called um, Duke Kaboom or something like that. He's a Canadian stuntman toy. That's very funny. Which was uh, he was pretty good at it. So, you know, credit where credits due. But anyway, uh, so the last chunk of our scene, um, the foot chase concludes when they yeah they jump into the L.A. Reservoir, which is just an iconic location probably probably top 10 for just movie scenes right if you need to do something in la you better have something happen in the reservoir especially a chase yeah yes yeah uh yeah this in t2 um but yeah um once again the camera connection yeah (laughs) utah jumps down into the reservoir um his uh his bad knee buckles uh he gives a real phony yell i'd say where he says like oh it's, no it's a bad cut there. Right? that actually is yeah. just a bad cut uh from the stunt mm. double to him the stunt double mm. does a great job and they did a nice like tracking shot of following him slide down the first mm. part of it but then when, as soon as yeah. he goes over the cut from the stunt man to keanu is bad because that audio is there's something off with the audio there mm-hmm. so i think it's the weakest part of the scene we're talking about today is that moment yeah. right there doesn't land very well he tries to get up and tries to run it doesn't work so he draws his gun and as we know as we mentioned it from the credit sequence we know he could make this shot if he needed to but i like obviously he doesn't want to kill Bodie. and i think this was more about like you know who's gonna win like this again this is a game of football this is um this is a chase like can i catch him i don't want to kill him i want to beat him yes and and even Bodie gives him the chance Bodie's halfway up this fence and turns around, and I love that, you know, Swayze is such has such an iconic look. He's such a movie star that he doesn't... I think it'd be very easy to direct the scene where he takes his mask off and, like, looks at Keanu yeah, before no running. Way. And it's like, no, we know his eyes. We know exactly what, what, like, his steely blue ocean spray eyes look like. So you can just do a do an extreme close-up on, on his eyes behind that rubber mask and get everything you need. I could just imagine them lining up that shot and being like, look at how amazing his eyes look behind this mask. It's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like, you get the lighting just right, and it's like, oh, boy, do those ever pop. Mm-hmm. And you, you're like, of course that's Patrick Swayze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, how could anyone not know who who was under the, uh, the Reagan mask? Um, so, interestingly, he... Uh, Patrick Swayze really did want to do most of the stunt work himself as much as he possibly mm-hmm. could, but he was actually away promoting a different movie. I think it was, I think it was ghost or something else Okay. when yeah. they were filming the scene. So that whole scene obviously behind the mask is the stunt double until that final shot where obviously it's Swayze's yeah. eyes behind the mask. You can't, can't fake those can't eyes, fake those eyes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, but and it's then, cool. It, he he actually was the story the stunt uh, the stunt double told was just that Swayze was really happy he didn't have to do the whole running scene. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I mean um, it looked pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I mean, again, like you know, it's it's uh, three four minutes of running, which is just I don't know a week or two of shooting running. Just remember, <laughs> you're filming it from the fr- front angle, then from the back angle, and then you're yeah. doing your pickup. So you're you're running through the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Uh, yeah, really, really physical work. performances. And Keanu doesn't get to wear a mask, so he's running a lot. No, yeah. And then uh, and then yeah. So what you what you have in the end is just uh, Keanu or Utah refuses to kill Bodie, so he turns he turns away and he and he shoots his gun up in the air and goes ah 
as uh, as they explained in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, his um, gun just goes. I do want to mention that. I do want to mention he's <laughs> he's an FBI agent, and you know any anyone working in law enforcement would have to account for every round fired in service and in duty. So that's that's just a lot of paperwork there to yeah. uh, to vent your frustration. Yeah. You just launch like it. five I, into the air. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I wouldn't shoot uh, Bodhi either. Right. Yeah. But you got it. Like, couldn't he, like, clip him? Like, wing him or something? That's the thing, right? Put one, give him a bad knee. Yeah, seriously. He's ruined your knee but, again. Uh, yeah. But no, this is a, I mean, I think this is, obviously, we've talked so much about the, the, the technical side and the production of this they're really 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 kinetic sequences they're fun to watch they're easy to understand as you watch them which is not always a given yeah it's a pretty and good point, uh, actually we haven't made yet yeah and uh and the characters you know like they it tells you something about them and this is a key point in utah's character arc where he can do his job and he's so conflicted at this point that he uh refuses to yeah and that's something i actually wanted to talk I wanted to ask you this question when I was watching it because I've watched this movie since I was, you know, 12 years old. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel about his relationship with Swayze and the gang? Like, did you did you feel like the tough decisions that his character has to make were believable because he was so entwined with the group already? Yeah, I, I do. I think I think when you factor in his background as like a football college star and you know his his capabilities with firearms and things like that i think they they betray enough of his him being an easy target for that lifestyle right and then also like you factor in they they don't make it look great to work at the fbi at the beginning like mcginley basically just roasts him right and mcginley is talking all about um you know we're numbers based we're going to crunch data and that's how we catch bank robbers and there's no feeling and there's no spirit to it and then Bodhi shows him this other lifestyle right and and which he can get into too he he takes to surfing yeah and and he likes this lifestyle and and it, it's this option for escape and you know he, he skydiving too all these things i think i think they very convincingly show you why he would become conflicted and then in the end, it just, I guess, sells that part where he throws his badge into the water after mm-hmm. he lets Bodhi go. Yeah. He, he, I mean, you can't go home again. He'll never be the same, right? And, yeah. and, and, and for, for the worst, I think, right? Like, he's, he's leaving this arc with scars, and, I don't, you know, he's got a foot in both worlds now. Like, where, where is he going to land? It's, it's, it's a, a pretty um, melodramatic, uh, like, tragedy. I'd yeah, say. Uh, taken taken as a whole. Yep, and uh, just quickly to touch on that finale, they actually did have a professional surfer who actually was on a massive, massive wave wipeout. Yeah, to like intentionally wipeout mm-hmm. to get that shot of Bodhi at the yeah. end. That's wild. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you could. In, in terms of insurance, I don't. I'm not sure you get away with that anymore. I don't know either. Right? I mean, especially when you could just animate it. But they were well. Know. That's what. Thank God we haven't brought it up to now. But that's what the new one did. The updated Is version. It, I, they I, they I, had I, some CGI stuff. Yeah. When I was doing last minute research today, I was like, "Oh yeah, there was a remake." I completely forgot about it until like three hours ago. Oddly, it's the same writer. Yeah, that is odd. I mean, you know. Another paycheck, who knows? Not not to denigrate the guy, but yeah. To some extent he did he did double down on on a script that he wrote, so that's a shame. 
Yeah, with like 25 years in between. Yeah. <laughs> but to end on that bummer note for our scene discussion, just like this movie ends, uh, uh, I think I think we covered uh, we covered that foot chase and car chase uh, in great detail. Um, we move along now to our shout outs. Uh, I, I mentioned it uh, a little bit uh, just at the end there, so I'll go first. Uh, I just love one thing that I noticed in my rewatch, just my second time watching it, was that these early scenes, you've got John C. McGinley's character introducing Utah to like the L.A. FBI office. And he talks a lot about how like he wants his men to be healthy. He doesn't want them drinking or smoking or 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 eating anything bad they need to have a proper meal even like no caffeine and then the next scene you're introduced to gary Busey doing that pool brick dive thing and like gary Busey is built like gary Busey. he doesn't look like a guy who eats great you know you can imagine i i'm not sure like i believe they show him smoking in this movie but i didn't pay close enough attention to actually check but I do, I do think you have this very intentional contradiction there, which I love. It makes Gary Busey's character even better. And, like, later when he's like, oh, I wish I had three meatball sandwiches to eat. And you you know that McGinley wouldn't have signed off on that. <laughs> I, I, I like that contrast. Yeah. There is a really good contrast with Pappas. I think he worked, like, Busey works surprisingly well in this film. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, my shout-out is you got just this a time? quick one. Um, I really liked... I've seen, like once again, I've seen this movie many, many times, and I just had never quite put together the context of this shot before. It's right after the the raid on the house of like the 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 surfers who are selling drugs, or, or maybe they're just drug yeah, using. Like the, I don't, I don't even the, know the Anthony Kiedis crew. <laughs> the Anthony Kiedis yeah. crew, yeah. Yeah. So, um, in that scene he's grabbed by like a naked woman who comes out of the shower and he's smashed into the mirror. Keanu yeah, is. She beats him up. Yeah. And I she really, yeah, I could make that my shout out just how much damage that woman causes <laughs> from behind yeah. the scenes of the, of the raid. But she, what the scene I want to talk about the shot is after the raids done, Keanu is looking in the mirror, washing his face mm-hmm. up and it's the mirror that his face broke. Oh, okay. And I just love yeah, the shot of like idea. his shattered image, and he's looking mm-hmm. in the mirror that literally his face broke like ten minutes earlier. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a lot. I mean, you could probably write a little essay about that and sort yeah. of the the will the willing damage he does to himself as he as he deconstructs who he thinks he is over the course of the movie. I almost wrote that exact essay. Yeah. Well. Too late to get into it now. We're just about done. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, next episode's movie, keep an eye on Instagram. We're going to do a Keanu audience vote. We've got, yeah, The Matrix, Bill and Ted, Dracula, and Speed. What, what would you vote, vote for, Tay? I, anything but Speed because I think that that's where everyone's going to go. So I want, I want something off the board. I want, I want like, Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Speed speed would be a lot of overlap with this. We're including it because like it's high profile and it's notable. I think it probably cements uh, Keanu as an action star, whereas this one sort of tested him. Um, so it'd certainly be a discussion, but a lot of the same stuff. I would love like Dracula. If you guys haven't seen it, what a what a weird, interesting movie. Uh, the effects in that movie are incredible. It's a uh, maybe one of the best examples of Keanu not working in terms of being cast for something. Um, but uh, yeah, so Dracula would certainly be interesting, but we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, to wrap it up, we've got our recommendations. I'm going to go with Brick by Ryan Johnson nice. from 2005. It has probably the most, in my mind, a memorable foot chase. A very intentional, no score, lot of foley of just she, uh, 
you know, shoes scraping cement uh, foot chase. I really like that one. Good shout out, or a good, yeah. good recommendation. I like that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the James Cameron movie, uh, 1989's The Abyss. Uh, I think this is right a on. gem of James Cameron's. I think it's one of his most impressive, maybe his most impressive technically, other than T2. Um, yeah. I think this movie is an epic. It's two hours and twenty minutes, and there, I find that term uh, is thrown around a little too loosely nowadays. Uh, I genuinely think this is this is a cool science fiction epic. Uh, it's James Cameron, 1989, so it's early on, and the early CGI in this movie is incredible. It is so, so, yeah. so good. So uh, yeah, worth watching for all those reasons. Yeah, I think there's a, the Corridor crew on The Abyss. They talked about, like, basically like the, the the computing power required for these super early programs for some of the effects that they pull off in the later parts of this movie were super fascinating i've seen this movie once and now i kind of want to watch it again right away so maybe that's tonight i figure with you know avatar two three four five whatever coming out <laughs> soon it's probably worth going back to where james cameron's yeah. love of the deep ocean began mm-hmm and yeah, and uh, the editor for Point Break, Howard E. Smith, also edited The Abyss, which so actually was how I made that connection. Yeah, so that's and thanks go. for thanks for shouting that out. Yeah, right on. Well, that's uh, our start to season two. This is Keanu month. We're gonna bookend with another Keanu month. So check us out on Instagram and vote. We're gonna start the Sunday roundups again after taking a couple weeks off. And uh, as always, if you listen to us on Apple, uh, we'd love a review for the podcast. Give us five stars. Give a little comment about what you like about the show. And as always, shoot us a DM on Instagram if uh, there's something you want to share. We will put together a mailbag episode eventually. Uh, but with that, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you want to wrap this one up, Tay? I got <laughs> I got nothing prepped. <laughs> Just, uh, I guess, we got a lot of exciting things coming, for, coming in Season 2 uh, that we're really excited about. So please... Uh, stick with us uh, and thank you for doing so so far all right we'll catch you in a few weeks to talk about whatever keanu movie you guys tell us to keep it real hang 10 <laughs>